Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to the OMG MotoGP podcast. Remember, any questions, queries, comments, you can send it uh, to us, either over email or a 30-second voice note. It's omgmotogp at gmail.com. And coming up on the show, we'll be looking back at all things Japan with myself, Harry Benjamin, and former Grand Prix rider Keith Hewitt. And Keith, I mean, what a race. The sprint, then we had the weather really getting into it. And Keith... Jorge Martin is making a serious case for this 2023 title. He really is. Three points now, the difference. Sprint race on Saturday was in the dry, which was unexpected. We expected to have rain on Saturday as well. Um, it finally, they didn't get away with it on Sunday, obviously. It just started to rain while they were on the grid all lined up and, and it was declared a flag-to-flag race, which uh, is always uh, quite exciting, especially at somewhere like Motegi. But no, Jorge Martin at the moment, and it's the way he's going about it. You you don't feel there's any fragility in Jorge Martin. Um, in the past, maybe, but not now. I mean, what's that? His third double of, of the year? I, mean, I can't remember. I wrote it down somewhere. But um, <laughs> it's another fantastic ride from him over the weekend. He looks very, very strong. Bangnaya, I don't know. If the, uh, do you know what? I, I think that the factory Ducati looks a little nervous in places. Now, whether that's transmitting through the rider, I don't know. It just doesn't look quite the bike it was just a few rounds ago. Um, what's changed, I have no idea. But that can be down a lot to the tension the rider's putting through it. You know, it might be Bang Nye's just, you know, riding it a little harder than he's had to before. And he's lost some of that mo- that lovely smooth momentum that he, he gets. And Motegi is a bit stop-start. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different kind of track. But we, we've seen Jorge Martin can ride any track at the moment. And from the start, if he gets, gets going, he is so fast now. Um, times that they're putting down. Track surface was good there. It was immaculate at Motegi. You know, like the, the the whole thing there is 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 well run. Um, what can I say? Jorge Martin looked absolutely brilliant. Francesco yeah. Bagnaia looked pretty good, but not good enough. And I mean, for Jorge as well, it seems like you know his first couple of seasons, he clearly had the pace and and it was an exciting prospect. But he was having those accidents. He was out with injury, missing a lot of rounds, and now he just seems to have been able to put it all together. Still have that same speed, not making any mistakes, and that. And now you've got a title contender on your hands, and somebody that is a bright spark. I mean, would Ducati be looking at that, going, "Did we make a mistake in not promoting Martin to the factory seat and promoting an Air Bastinini instead?" It could have been the spark that made him ride as well as he is riding. At the end of the day, it's just different riders work on different kinds of adrenaline, don't they? At the end of the day, being passed over if you like makes you more angry i mean these guys are competitive at every single thing they do um <laughs> we've got a foggy interview coming up very soon down the pub with carl fogarty now watch out for it here on omg MotoGP. but one of the things that he says is that he and his dad were even competitive at dominoes believe it or not i know this is some strange segue to fit into our conversation from the japanese grand prix but you know these guys are so incredibly competitive that that smack in the teeth that he will have felt he had by being passed over for the factory ride 
has put him in the position he's in. Plus, you know, factory rides, I've gone here before and I'll, I'll go here again because, you know, if you've been a factory rider, getting a factory bike is not always everything you think it should be. A factory bike is the cutting edge end. It's where they try the most extreme of things. You know, the Pramac bike will have had data, will have had, a, a you know, slightly more information that perhaps that they will use for that bike. It's a milder place to be. The Pramac team is a wonderful team. It's a very, very friendly fun party kind of a team of the series obviously on the track and what they do but they really are a really good team to be amongst i love the pramac team it's my well, it's probably my favorite team in the paddock uh, bar none i mean their friday night karaoke is a spectacular <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of i don't even know if they still have them because i haven't been there this year but it's kind of one of them situations where it's a great team you know would you, yeah, I, I'd like riding for Pramac rather than the factory team. It always looks like a bit of tension in the big red team, whereas the Pramac team boys all seem to... And I think that he's, he's resp Jorge Martin's responding to that. He's in the yeah. right place at the right time, and he could still... It's a factory bike at the end of the day. You know, to, it's only going to be the fact that the personnel that, that, that's working on it are perhaps a slightly fewer than there would be in the, in the red team. The red team have supposedly all the data from all of the, the eight factory bikes that are out there. Um, there's factory and there's factory factory. Um, I think that Jorge Martin is responding to Pramac as a team and to the challenge. And he's got Magnolia rattled and he's not going to back off. There's something about being an underdog, isn't there? Even though they are a factory team, but as you say, they haven't got everything at their disposal. And when you're labelled the underdog, that does, I think, light a fire within you, doesn't it? From a rider and the well, team perspective. He was an underdog up until Japan. I don't think he is now. Now the no. pressure starts. We go to Indonesia next. Um, then we've got that massive run, haven't we? We've got Indonesia, then Philip Island, uh, Jang International in Buriram in Thailand, Sepang, and then you come back to Doha for, for the Qatar round, which will be next year. It'll be back at the front of the series this year because of the track modifications. It's later in the year. And then we'll go to a freezing cold miserable Valencia on the 26th of November honestly I have never understood why we always end up at Valencia it just it's, makes it's no sense weird. to me it's random it's well it is weird I, I, don't, I don't think I mean it, it's not very sustainable the Valencia authorities must it's what it's not it's not very sustainable uh, inducing you know the calendar going from Doha then to Valencia you know in terms of air miles just saying just because with my F1 hat on we've slightly rejigged the calendar for next year to make to sort of group races by location and to, to plot Valencia on at the end just feels like a, a bit of a, a bit of an unnecessary task well it's always been the the, the finale that we've had for, for many years now I mean it, I suppose that yeah, if you ended up at Catalonia, then I could understand that. Great racetrack. You know, Valencia is not a great racetrack. It's like a kart mm. track. It's, it's great from a spectator's point of view because you can see it all. It's like the Branzac Indy circuit. And you stand in one particular place, you can see the whole of the track. You know, and, and Valencia is great from a spectator's point of view as a viewing type thing. But from a racing point of view, it's a, it's a one-line wonder. And you always end up with a situation where you, you, you've been turning, you know, pretty much on one side of the tyre for a long time and then all of a sudden you get to the cold side of the tyre and down they all go. It's not my favourite track to end up on, especially if the championship is going to go there um, because it all comes down then to qualifying. You know, whoever qualifies on the front row and makes a start is probably going to do quite well out of it if they can block past everybody at, at the front of it. So I, I don't know why that ends up that way, but I'm being negative and I don't want to be negative at this point because we've got so much more positive stuff coming over, the, over this massive run of completely knackering Grand Prix. Yeah, even just talking about it, let alone do the travel, could be uh, could be knackering. Um, back to uh, Japan on the ground. Oh, go on, Keith. Sorry. Yeah. Well, well no, I, just... I mean, I, I was going to go back to Japan on the ground. I mean, I think Japan is is one of the ones where it's a fantastic event. It's in a, it's in a strange place. Motegi, they chop the chop off chop the top off a couple of hills. I mean, you imagine the tree huggers. They must have gone bonkers when when they when Honda built that place. They chopped the chop off things and and they made. An IndyCar circuit with a road course, a very good road course that, that entwines in it. But the atmosphere you get when you're going to Japan, you kind of feel like you have gone abroad. Um, you've gone overseas. Most of the other places, pretty much it's a paddock. And, you know, the only thing that's really, really different, I suppose, is the temperature. But when you go to, to Motegi, it feels like you've gone somewhere completely alien. 
alien. When you go there, the tunnels and the concrete and all the rest of it to get there is is quite odd. And then you, you go in, and the first thing you notice on a, on a particularly on a Sunday, you've got like it looks like a school trip. There's, there's this this long row of of similarly dressed kids, um, all in their indomitsu jackets and the like. And it's the you know the Talent Cup kids, the Asia Talent Cup, the Indomitsu sponsored ta- Asia Talent Cup. And they're all doing a tour and they're all going to see their Grand Prix riders. And you'll get Takanakagami, Somkyat Chantra, who was a star in 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 the, the Talent Cup previously. All the all the, the Grand Prix guys, Hiro Oyama, who runs, you know, the 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 Honda Team Asia uh, Grand Prix team. You know, you'll have all of that integrated into it. And that's your first thing that you when you get off the little bus that takes you from the car park that's parked up on the IndyCar track to take you into the circuit proper, then you get off the bus. You can see all these kids all learning whatever they're learning from all the, the hierarchy. There's a real thing that goes on with the Asia Talent Cup. We're seeing some really, really good guys come out of the Asia Talent Cup. There's another one. I, I wrote his name down somewhere. Um, there's an, a, a new Thai kid, 16 years old, first time he ended up on the podium at the ITAC uh, Asia Talent Cup series. Uh, Jack Puchisan, who's a, who's a real up-and-coming youngster that's looking good. And you can imagine, with Somkiat having the kind of you know, pole position and the result he had in Moto2, the encouragement in Southeast Asia at the moment is massive. And as that ramps up, everyone, everyone everywhere else is going to be under pressure for their rides. I love it. The whole place is like a tinder keg. You know, now just... Feel it. I can feel it, and I'm. 6, I, I can miles tell away you can it. feel it. <laughs> you can feel. You look so giddy talking about it. Um, it feels like it's an amazing place to go to. I mean, what? A, I mean, I'd love a school a school trip out as well to a to a racing track would be kind of cool. Wish I had that when I was younger. Um, but back to um the the on track action as well, and obviously the weather played a massive part on Sunday. How do you think it was handled well? And the one thing that 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 stands out to me is full points. For 12 laps on Sunday, half points for 12 laps on Saturday. That feels a little bit... Ah. It's in the rule book. 50% and they were bang on 50%. And so the, 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 full, the full points come. I mean, you can't change the rules just because it seems a bit odd this year. Maybe they will do next year or something along those lines. But the cooler was right. You know, the the, the restart, um, it was worse, the restart, than, mm. than it was at the end of the, the stoppage in the first place. So... The call was dead on, dead right. I was actually impressed with that because I have to say that that sometimes in MotoGP, um, they're not as quick as they need to be with these kind of red flags. And that place is a place, you know, you couldn't see through that through that spray. Um, I, I, I tell you what, I have to give a shout out to my old mate, Neil Hodgson. I, I've got to give a shout out to him because before any of this, he predicted that he was spot on that in a flag to flag, um, Mark Marquez would be there on the podium, and and I, I remember when he said it. I was watching it because I was watching the bloody TNT Sport as well. I have to. Everybody does, really. Um, and unless you're watching on MotoGP.com, by the way, around the world, uh, another perfect purveyor of, of MotoGP. But I watch it on TT, TNT here in the UK. And I've got to say, to make that prediction was not brave because I think I'd got Marquez on the podium in my predictions last week. So. But it was one of them ones where it wasn't expected really. It was a, a kind of speculative thing. And uh, Hodgie was spot on. I don't think we're yeah. going to see any more, though, this year. I'd be amazed if, if he manages to do it at some of these other tracks. We'll see. Well, if anyone can, it's probably Mark Marquez, isn't it? But um, there were a lot of penalties as a result, though, wasn't there, of uh, of this weather with pit penalties. Zarco, Oliveira, who, who could have been on for some quite good results. Zarco, in particular, w- was fast. He was matching Martin. And he and he got it back under five minutes when he crashed at turn twelve. He got it back to the pit lane in under five minutes, which you've got to do if you want to rejoin the restart. But he didn't go the correct way. He went through the barrier with it. He took the bike through the wrong access route. It didn't save him really that much. And it's not the sort of thing that you have in your head as a rule, you know, that to think, oh, if I, like, yeah, there's a gap in the barrier, I can go through here to 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 gain pit lane. He needed to go sort of round the, the barriers and then into pit lane proper. Um, a nightmare, really. But again, I hate this phrase. The rule is the rule, and it's clear. You can't take a shortcut, even if it was a, an inch. 
you can't take a shortcut. And it was a shortcut. So that's why Zarco didn't get to ride again. He was he was within the five minutes. I think it took him three and a half minutes to get the bloody thing from from turn twelve back down to to, to restart. Um, yeah, you know, he did he did really well, but unfortunately um, wasn't allowed to restart. And the other rule is if you've been lapped once, um, then you know those that were were out of the race but back into the race, whatever it might have been because of, of they they didn't do the flag the flag quick enough or not. Um, they have to start from pit lane. So you have people that started from pit lane. If you've been lapped twice, then you don't get to start again. Um, there are rules in the rule book that are very specific. So, and as far as I can see, they were all adhered to properly. So, yeah, it might not be ideal with hindsight, but at the end of the day, it was clear in the little yellow book that we have with the rules in it. Uh, in terms of uh, the yellow, the little yellow book, well, that's a bit of a, a, a tongue twister sometimes. Um Bezeki, uh tough, another tough weekend for him, unfortunately, um, with that incident in turn one. Do you think he well, got I mean, away with it, it? He got away it, with it. Was that it right? Start, it started on Saturday, though. Bez had a massive crash yeah. um, before the sprint race in, in turn 12. Turn 12, again, it's at that, that last section of, of where you come under the IndyCar track and then you've got a, a, a right, left, right onto the onto the front straight. And... and there are a lot of riders that go down there. It's a very technical part of the racetrack. You know, you've got turn 11, you come down to turn 11, which is a 90 degree turn under the IndyCar track. And then the left hand of the next one, turn 12. It's very, very tricky. Dean. He had a big, big crash in there, beat himself up, rolled over and clattered everything, every, every corner on his body um, prior to, to the sprint race. So his weekend really was marred with that um, risk in a wet race. Um, you have to take a risk, you know, especially if you're leading it when it's getting wetter and wetter and wetter. Um, John Hopkins said something fantastic when I was listening to him, and only a motorbike racer, or actually, no, a road rider will be aware of this as well. You'll have to wind the window down, Harry, if you want the same effect. <laughs> when you're riding along, you can smell the rain. Weird as that sounds, when John Hopkins said that, everybody that rides a motorbike will have gone, oh, yeah, because you can, and you can smell how much it's raining. If you can't smell it, uh, you've got it on your visor, but you can't smell it, then it's kind of still pretty dry. And because the temperature was up there track-wise, it will have evaporated quite quick. But as soon as you can smell that rain, you get that kind of musty smell that comes in from everything getting a bit damp to the side of the track and everything that puts your old alert signals on as well. So I thought it was a great comment from John Hopkins. I really do. It's good to see him actually down on the grid and the like as well. Hopper, superb rider, the American. So, um, uh, but that was an interesting thing. And, and being able to judge how the track is, you're chasing the track, whether the track is going from wet to dry, which I find easier, but when it's going from dry to wet, it's how much wet is it? How much on this particular corner wet is it as the as the cloud blows through and the, and the weather front goes across the track? And it's how hard you push. And if you're in front, you're there a few yards before the guy behind you. And you've always got a rabbit to chase if you're if you're in second, third, fourth, wherever it is placed behind the, the leader. So tricky conditions um, as that track evolves into being damp to very, very wet. So so that turn one incident during the race, you think it was, you know, fair enough. It wasn't intentional, didn't deserve a penalty for basically sort of sitting up and forcing two riders off. You know, turn one incidents are more prevalent now, aren't they? It's something we talk about at every racetrack, whether it's dry or whether it's wet, whether it's damp or whether it's sunny. Yeah, the fact is, is that everybody has to risk everything on that opening lap to put themselves in with a position, to, to put themselves in a position to be somewhere in the race when it's mid-race or whatever it might be. They need to be, they need to, the, the, the biggest gain that you can find in a race nowadays is that first couple of corners where you can pinch places because someone's been a bit reticent or because someone's been moved off their line. And we are going to see more and more of that. At first, the sprint race got accused of that. But it's in every race now. The, the, the biggest advantage, everyone's realised as we get to this part of the season, the biggest advantage for a racer is those first couple of corners to force it to fit. And occasionally you get what you get. You know, it's, I don't know anybody that, that you know, after you watched all the, the Grand Prix, if you're a sad git like me, you'll have watched 
World Superbikes and British Superbikes. And British Superbikes was an absolute bloody disaster for Paul Bird's team, PBM Motorsport. You know, the two beer monster Ducatis coming together at the, the hairpin at Donington Park, wiping themselves out of the race. You know, similar thing. You know, Tommy Bridewell thought that that he could walk on water quite literally. He'd come from the back row of the grid to being a leading contender, got it slightly wrong down into the loop, wiped out Glenn Irwin. He got a three-place grid penalty and three points on his licence. Now, some would say that was nowhere near enough. Um, I would say it was a racing incident and it was the right penalty. Seems a bit lenient because he ended up putting him side by side with his teammate in the next race (laughs) later in the day, which I find slightly amusing. And I'm sure Stuart Higgs did, who, who, who would have sanctioned the penalty in the first place. Um, so it's quite, quite, quite funny from that point of view. But it, it's where do you penalise racing? It's, it's the inconsistencies that are a problem, isn't it? That, that's for everybody. Um, I hate penalties. I genuinely do for for people that are trying. But then again, if you've had your race wiped out because someone has made a big mistake, you should get a penalty for causing others to crash. We've seen it time and time again. Well. Let's Am I on the fence? More... I've got splinters. Yeah, well, I mean, I've you are on the fence. I've never never heard Keith Ewan be so on the fence before. But, I mean, it was, it was a, I think, oh, yeah, it's tough. I just The thing I think about, was it Austria, where there was that big turn one shunt? And who was it? Was that Martin? Yeah, it was Jorge Martin, wasn't it, down the inside? So it wasn't, I don't think it wasn't as drastic as that. But when you slow, as with anything, when you slow it down and you replay it, it looks very, very bad. But in the thick the, of it, turn the, one. The nuance is. The nuances are so tiny and, and the way that you read it from the camera angles you've got and the onboards you've got and the data that you've got, you could spend a week disseminating each and every crash and you've got to make a decision within a yeah. certain time scale to, 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 to get the decision made. I mean, would I ever, I mean, I nominated um, Freddie Spencer to Mike Trimby back in the day when Mike couldn't find someone to be the, um, the race steward. Um, and it happened that Freddie hadn't got a job at the time. So I said, well, what about Freddie Spencer? He ain't doing much. And look what I've done to Freddie, poor bugger. He's having to, he's having to take the flag. Um, but you try and find someone to replace him. You try and find someone that can can do a better job. It's the consistency is the problem. I mean, AI. Do we want to go to AI? Do we want to go to some kind of Lewis Hamilton wants to try out an F1. Well, I, I, you know what, I'm, I'm actually, I don't think it's a bad idea because the algorithm of each and everything then becomes impartial completely, and it's down to an algorithm and, a, and, a, and a, an artificial intelligent look at it, and we take the stewards out of certain types of, of, of crashes. It's coming. It will come. I mean, it's like everything else. I mean, VOR is now a thing. This podcast will be AI. It won't be us. We'll have an AI-generated version of ourselves. That's how it will run. I thought you. I thought your intelligence was artificial, anyway. <laughs> Very true. Head of the game. Head of the game. Um, uh, AI. Uh, AI in control of uh, race stewarding. Yay or nay? Let us know in the comments. Uh, would you like to see it? Yo, that's um, going to open it up. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, let's go to some more positive stuff. Uh, I want to come on Moto Two, and Moto Three in a minute, but uh, let's just look at KTM uh, and Jack Miller as well in particular we've we've spoken about miller uh, a couple of weeks on the trot just seemed to be in a little bit of a dip found something i think this weekend again ktm in general finds found something this weekend yeah that the new carbon fiber chassis seems to have worked straight out of the box which is unusual um and that can only get better which is a worry for everyone else i would suggest um because if they can make that work as soon as it comes out of the box then the amount of tweaks that they can make over the next few weeks are going to make a difference. I mean, watch for KTM in the in the in the next few rounds. Jack Miller, yeah, he is in a bit of a dip. But, but you know, how deep is the dip? I I have confidence in Jack Miller. I think that he will come back. As I've said earlier, you know, in podcasts before, new baby, rah 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 rah. A few things fiddling around in his head, perhaps at the moment. Uh, he's he's under pressure. He dropped. He didn't do his press conference when we were expecting him to at the weekend as well. You know, which which would would give me an indication that he's probably thrown his toys out the pram. Um, you know, he, he's he's not happy with himself. Um, he's got his biggest race of the year coming up in a couple of weekends' time when we go to Phillip Island. That is that is one that will make or break for Jack uh, if he can't perform in front of a home crowd. The Aussies are very 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 good at performing in front of their 
their home crowd. And Phillip Island is a, an unequaled racetrack when it comes to the performance of the racetrack and the, and the feel on the racetrack. So, you know, maybe that will be the turning point for Jack and he'll finish his year, you know, on a high. I hope he does. Um, it will be terrible if he doesn't because he will be under pressure because, as we've already alluded to, you know, there are pressures in KTM for who's going to get what ride. They've got, you know, one rider too many, it would seem, of the quality that they're they're trying to promote. And and that's that's going to be a tricky one for Jack at the end of the day. And what a segue as well, because Pedro Acosta is coming um, in the Moto2. Uh, recovered from a tough start, actually, did Pedro Acosta. But it was Somkiak Chantra, actually, who completed a dominant weekend. Uh, victory from pole. Uh, and the team enjoying a home 1-2 in Japan as well. Yeah, uh, it doesn't get any better than that for the uh, Indomitsu Honda Team Asia team, does it? Um, at Motegi, a 1-2 on the grid, a one-two in the race. Um, Somkiat does have a tendency to throw out of the fence now and again, a bit unexpectedly, but he uh, managed to keep his composure. I mean, I can imagine Hiro Oyama, the team manager. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A superb mobile racer in his own right. Um, must have been having absolute kittens. Um, we could have had a camera on him throughout the weekend, and I think he would have um, had several litters um, during the course of the weekend, uh, especially with the likes of Sonkia out front. But he got a good backup man, hadn't he, behind him, because um, uh, Suzuki was looking exceptionally, sorry, uh, was looking exceptionally well. Um, and one, two, don't get better than that. And and they'd been on duty. I'm, I'm, I've mentioned it before that the, they'd been on duty with the uh, Indomitsu Asia Team Cup Riders, all the youngsters, um, some cat had basically been across to see them and, and, and gone back to his old troop, if you like, because that's where he came from, from that particular series as well. So the Toei, well, maybe that inspired the other young Tai to get a, a podium for his first time, the 16-year-old Tai that, that uh, did well in that series as well over the weekend. Well, so, maybe. Good stuff for them. A little boring because some cat cleared off. You'll be happy though. Yeah, it was it was dominant for him. Tomcat Chandra with that win, uh, sixth in the championship now. Ayagura was second, and uh, Pedro Acosta, our championship leader, currently recovered to third in the end and has a fifty-point gap at the top. Um, Tony Arbolino had a qualifying to forget, and uh, progress up through the field was tough for Arbolino, who really is struggling to keep those title fight dreams alive now with that fifty-point gap. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the time of the year for digging in. This is not over yet. What have we got left? One, two, three, four, five, six more rounds. You know, that's a lot of points. 150 to be precise. Um, so it, it, it's not done yet. Um, an injury is something that you pick up an injury when you've got this close run of things and you don't have time to recover. Um, and that too could be a, could be an issue as we move forward. I hope not, but uh, it won't be the first time that an injury has has created a uh, an opportunity, should we say, for the others. Mm. Well, that's how Moto Two lies. Uh, one rank down, rank rank down. Um, Jawa Masia in Moto Three, uh, quite cleverly. Well, wasn't clever. He just utilised it. Uh, his rivals battling behind, and that uh, meant he could pull away and pull a gap and escape to victory in Japan. And Tazaki as well, putting on a good display uh, for the home ground. Yeah, I mean, he hit the front on uh, turn one on lap seven and was never got near after that. It was um, 
yeah, it was a great ride for Basia, and I mean, he's he's uh, started to stamp a bit of authority on this, and the, the team were going to be very happy with him. But it went, you know, thirty-two degrees of track temperature as I rode down here. I'm just taking a look. Seventeen laps. Yeah, yeah. The, the first race of the of, of the Grand Prix day. Obviously, they had a talent cup out there beforehand, but the track in good order. He made the most of it. Um, not much else to say there. Looked head yeah. and shoulders. Now, Daniel Hogado coming home third as well for uh, Red Bull KTM. Um, only, only just missed out, though, because Sasaki nearly, you know, like, he only just missed out. Uh, Sasaki got it on the line. I mean, it was well judged from Sasaki. Mm. Well, either way, title fight is still very uh, tight in Moto3. Uh, 199 points Jamma Masia has over uh, Ayumi Suzaki's 193. Three, and then Daniel Holgado is only three points back from that with 190. So the top three in Moto3 looking very spicy. That one's certainly going to linger on, I think. Uh, but that's the Moto2 and Moto3 action. I mean, so Japan was uh, a pretty busy weekend for all involved. And it's always a busy week for Crash's MotoGP editor, Pete McLaren. Long time no see, better late than never, joins us on the show. How are you, Pete? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, good to see you guys. Last time we were all on the ground together was what, Silverstone, wasn't it? Two months ago. So uh, a lot has changed in the life of a certain Mark Marquez, it seems, hasn't it? Since then, it was all about KTM then, and uh, now it's all about Grissini Ducati. Well, you say that. Right, come on. What's happening? Where's he going? <laughs> well, the, the, it's what he didn't say, wasn't it, in Mategi? I mean, this was the place where if he wanted to, to confirm his future at Honda, it was the perfect place to do it in front of all the bosses. Instead, there was no announcement, and it just adds further weight, along with, of course, these comments coming out from Ducati management about uh, basically you know repeating the speculation that's out there but the point is these guys they don't just repeat rumors you know they're they're the top people at Ducati Gigi Paolo Ciabatti David Tardozzi if they say as they have done that Mark strongly wants to go to Grassini you know it's on the table and uh yeah everything's pointing in that direction I think it's all about getting all the sponsors in line isn't it at the end of the day there's lots of conflicting contracts it's not just the factory bike situation that we're talking about here i i think it's a pretty much a done deal providing you can tie up all the loose ends that are either side of the the basic factory bike situation i mean we're, we're probably going to have a satellite bike win the championship this year so that's got, not going to be a fear to mark marquez the bike that he would be jumping on a ducati will be as good as it gets the only thing that he won't have perhaps is as many people working on it, which is where the factories always score the most. They've got the most data. They've got access to the most people, the brightest people, you would think. Um, but it looks like this year, Pramac could end up being a satellite championship winner. They definitely could, couldn't they? Momentum is definitely fully behind Jorge Martin at the moment. I mean, we were talking, what was it, a year ago, the big debate, should Ducati sign Bastianini? Should they sign Martin? Bastianini was the obvious choice, wasn't he? He was the safe choice almost, the Grassini rider at that time um, because of his results on the year-old bike, more consistent and everything else. But there was always that nagging doubt, and I think we mentioned it, that in terms of speed, Martin just has that, that potential to be shockingly fast. And if you can do the classic stop the fast rider from crashing, you've got someone who's a real handful in terms of the the opposition for them to keep tabs on. And I think that's where we are. He looks so confident now, doesn't he? I think that Ducati have got bigger problems even than that at the moment with, with regard to the way that KTM have made a massive step in Japan with this carbon fibre frame. They've got it straight away. It's been on the pace in the hands of Jack Miller. Okay, it didn't quite work out for Jack when it came to racing terms. But, I mean, certainly did as far as Binder's concerned. I mean, if, if KTM can make these steps... You know, Gigi Delaney is going to be going, hmm, they're interpreting the rule book as um, good as we normally do. And next year, I would think that, that they're going to be looking around at the moment, Ducati. So all of a sudden, you, you've got to say that they would be even keener to sign someone like Mark to get him in the fold of eight motorbikes out on the track that Ducati have. And, and that's a good point there, Keith. With, in terms of the timeline, all, all these things, we had the big news, Kakubu who's sort of the top technical guy being replaced, didn't we, this weekend. Now, people have sort of interpreted that, some people have interpreted that as, well, that's the kind of big change that Mark Marquez is after. But it's too high to have a direct impact on next year's bike. That's years down the line. It's, it's like Gigi when he went to Ducati, what was it, end of 2013, won a race mid-2016, the Ducati. So it, that's the sort of timeline you're looking at for these, for these changes that are so far up the hierarchy. 
The opposite approach is a bit like KTM, and as you mentioned there, where they, they target parts on the bike. We saw the Red Bull technology guys come in, didn't we, with the aerodynamics. That was sort of rumored towards the end of last year. By the Sepang test, there's bits on the bike, it's going quicker. You mentioned the carbon fiber, Keith. I don't think anyone's mentioned this, but those Red Bull guys know a lot about carbon fiber, don't they? Who knows? Who knows if they're involved? But it's those sort of changes that would have been, I think, what Mark wanted to see because it, it's immediate, near enough. You know what I mean? It's, it can change next year's bike on the track. These big management changes, yes, they're, they're, they're on a grand scale, but time's running out for Mark. He hasn't won for two years. He's not going to be champion for four years. He doesn't want to wait and wait and wait for huge organizational changes. Adrian Newey went to Red Bull. I Googled this. 2006. He won the championship 2010. You know, that's the level of, of the change with Kukubu, if you like, um, who is above Ken Kawachi. So I think it's, it's all tying in with, as you say, KTM's quick, rapid development. That's what's lacking for Mark. He's not seeing the parts that are going to change the bike. He got off that bike at the Misano test and his face was... It was like at Valencia 2023. The bike was the same. And and I think, you know, he just doesn't see a future. Let me pick you up on that Mizano test because you were there. I mean, what, we made a, a little bit of it, the fact that, that, that Mark didn't even know the name of one of the new guys that he got in the team that was working on the bike. I mean, what did you make of that? For for me, that was a critical indicator of, of the disjoint in that team. Absolutely, Keith. So at the start of the weekend, Mark put out that, that sort of jokey video, didn't he? Things are happening on social media that sort of fed the whole firestorm. And then people worked out, well, there's only so many free seats. It must be Grassini. And Mark was playing along with it all weekend and sort of quite happy to do so. Said that he'd made up his mind and he'd let us know at some stage and that he didn't care about the test on the Monday or it wouldn't have an influence on his decision. But then he rode the bike and then we get a message. Mark is speaking at lunchtime. Well, normally when people test a bike, you know, something major, they're riding for eight hours a day. We're going to speak to them at 7, 8 p.m. at night. So Mark is speaking at lunchtime. Strange immediately. Then Mark comes to the media room and his face, as I say, stone-faced, serious. The bike is the same. And it was at that point that, that you know, I think that it was a, a significant point. That was the point where I re not just me, others went, you know what, he might leave here. That was the moment where you saw that he just, the frustration of another new bike that doesn't really go any better than the old one. And as you say, Keith, there were, I think there was an aerody aerodynamicist, there was new people in the team, but they're Honda people again. You know, it's not that they're people that have come across, I think, from the Formula One side of Honda and things like that. But again, it's the time, isn't it? How long do those people take to make an impact? And the person, the first person you've got to speak to and the first person you've got to get to know almost intimately is the guy riding the bloody thing. I mean, I just don't understand where you wouldn't know the name of the guy you were dealing with on such a critical point. There's no team in the world that I know that would, would do that. Very, very strange indeed. Looking down the row of garages towards Yamaha, Cal Crutchlow was obviously a wild card at the weekend, riding a bike that was, by his words, completely different to all the other guys' bikes, um, was within five seconds, and that included a long lap penalty, of the main man, Fabio Quattararo. I mean, what what on the ground in, in Mategi? I mean, what was what was the feeling there? I mean, Cal was happy. He'd not done a sprint race before. He'd not raced for some time in amongst 22 other headbangers in MotoGP on a racetrack that's pretty tricky anyway when it comes to the braking areas and the like, and then wet on the, on the main race day. I mean, Cal seemed happy, but not happy to be finishing where he did. That's typical Cal. It's still the racer, not really a test rider. I mean, what was the feeling at Yamaha? It was interesting because Cal, as you say, he was riding a package that, that it wasn't his preferred package. It wasn't what he would have picked. If you asked him, what aero do you want? What, what bits do you want? But he was doing the testing. He was gathering the data for Yamaha. And it, this sort of clear split has emerged between the direction of the engine in that you've got Fabio wants more power. And then you had Cal this weekend saying that, no, no, it needs to be smoother. It's about getting a smoother engine. And I think he also said, Cal, this is that he wouldn't have picked this year's engine. You know, he actually preferred a different one. They had several to choose from um, that these Luca Marmarini tuned engines. Um, he was also at the Misano test working on the next year's engine, which, you know, Fabio wasn't too impressed with. But then if, if smoothness is the way they're going, it doesn't always pull your arms off, does it? So maybe that's, you know, the feeling is different from the lap time. But Cal seemed to feel that the, the, the conclusion of the weekend is that they've got a direction now, that that's the, the area they need to go in. He tried the massive aero 
he got the first long lap penalty, I think, because he was he was struggling to stay on online. He was running wide, battling with those massive wings on the bike. So there was the track limits penalty there. And so I think it was as much about crossing off, you know, areas that they don't need to go down as the areas that they do need to go into. So is there conflict between Quattro and the way that the test schedule is going? Because we've seen this before at Honda. Again, if you, you tie it in with Mark Marquez, Mark Marquez wants a motorbike that does stuff that no one else can use, no one else can work can, can work with. Are we in a similar situation at Yamaha where there's conflict between test rider of a very high status like Cal Crutcho, still capable of being in the points at any Grand Prix, even though he isn't racing anymore, and Quattararo, who seems to want to bike with more power, but it's not actually delivering it in the way that, that Cal seems to want it to, to be on the track. Is there a conflict? I think they both want the same thing. It's how you achieve it, isn't it? They're both after the straight line performance. But what Cal's saying is you can't put 300 horsepower down on the exit of a corner. So, you know, adding more and more power is not going to improve that corner exit. Whereas if they can get out the corners quicker, you'll be quicker at the end of the straight. And he was pointing out things such as a few years ago when Fabio and Mark were battling, I think, at Burry Run. And he said, you know, Mark was quicker in a straight line, but he couldn't pass Quattararo on the straight because he was, Quattararo was getting out of the corners better. He had more grip. And then in between this, you've got Franco Morbidelli, who sort of, I think it was at Mugello, he sort of, he summed it up in a sentence. You know, every now and then a rider will just say, sum up the whole thing, click. And he said, look, we got more horsepower this year, but we've lost some rideability. And, and, and I think that fits in with what Cal was saying, but it's not what Fabio agrees with. Fabio says the engine isn't peaky. It isn't aggressive. He doesn't have an issue with that. So there is definitely a difference of opinion on, on what exactly they need to do to get the straight line performance. It's always, always, since time immemorial, been the same. More horsepower doesn't necessarily make a quicker lap time at the end of the day. But what it does do is it puts you in a position where you're not going to get passed in a race. With today's style of racing, you need the horsepower to get down the straight so no one's alongside you by the time you get into the braking area. And that is the tricky bit nowadays. It, it might not be the best motorbike on an overall lap for qualifying, for instance. But from an actual racing perspective, you do not want a Ducati or a Honda or anybody down the inside of you, which you can do nothing about. Once you're on the outside, these guys are all you know, 20 riders within a second of each other on some pretty tricky circuits. You can understand why they want the horsepower. But more horsepower just transfers the problem quite often into an area that you, you then have to work on. Yeah, and you might have a quicker motorbike as as in. It might be a faster motor. But if you can't lay the power down, as Cal is saying, out onto a straight and you're not maximizing the entry onto a straight, you're going to lose it all the way down it, despite the fact you've got a quicker quicker motor in there. So a real conundrum. It used to be the Honda problem, didn't it? A Honda needed their really tricky electronics to tame that motor to make it work. And then when we went to the the spec ECU and the inertial platforms, the, the, the Magneti Morelli and Dorna, insisted everybody now runs and that's what we are all running the same electronic system um that's when honda all went to sea really didn't they that is a good point I and mean, we've raised, we've raised the lack of testing haven't we before and that is the issue cal's riding around on a deserted test track and quattro is saying look i'm quicker than the guy in front but i can't get around him so so these are the things that you can't work on in testing it's it's what danny pedroza speaks about as well pedroza can't work on a qualifying lap because they don't have enough tires new tires in testing so you can only sort of experience those things in a race weekend. And again, that, what, that's why having Cal there would have been so valuable. But as he said, he needed a dry weekend, really. I could sit here and just listen to you two chat all day. <laughs> I knew, I knew as soon as we got Pete in here as well, I would not get a word in edgeways. Um, back on the Marquez stuff, just to sort of see off um, at the end of this show. If he goes... To, to Grassini, as we're all predicting. Who replaces him? <laughs> well, it doesn't matter who replaces him, does it? Because they're not going to be as good as him at the end of the day. We've, we've just seen him finish on the podium at a racetrack that Honda owns. It could be the last podium that they have for some time if he carries on, the momentum carries on going the way it is. And that is a massive statement to say about Honda. Uh, you know, the, at the end of the day, they've signed Nakagami again for another year, you know, a good team player, but not a man that's ever going to win a race. He had his chance back at Aragon a few times a few years ago and, and blew it. Um, and and really, it's going to be a nightmare. I mean, you're probably going to get Ico Laquona or someone like that coming back from 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 the dark side of of World Superbikes or something. I know it's put a smile on Harry's face straight away. It's going to be something along those lines. But you know, 
Honda are in a dark place at the moment. I used to say that Yamaha were in the worst place, but I think Honda are in a worse place right now. If Mark jumps ship, they really are in the bloody sticky stuff, you know, because it's it's their whole program for years has been based on Mark. They've got Mia, haven't they? Uh, and it would be the chance for him to really step up, get that relationship with Ken Kawachi reunited from Suzuki. So they, they do have you know, a world champion there. You've got Zarco who's signed to HRC. So he's not signed to LCR. He's just been placed there at the moment. So you could easily move Zarco to Repsol if you wanted to. Or as you say, Keith, it could be Ike Lacona. He could go into Repsol or he could go into LCR. Uh, you know, there's even some rumours because of this whole Acosta thing that's suddenly fl- blown up where he's sort of saying, well, where am I riding next year? Some people are thinking, well, hang on a minute. Is he sort of trying to angle his way in <laughs> maybe for a for yeah. Honda? But then again, as Keith says, they're in such a difficult moment that would you want to, if you were a rookie, jump on that bike? You know, if even Mark Marquez thinks it's not ready to win. Or it, tough one. Or it might be the time to join Honda. You know, I, we've seen this before as well, haven't we? I mean, a team that looks like it's nowhere. Like, you know, look at KTM at the beginning of the year. KTM, we all predicted, would be nowhere. <laughs> yeah, we all wrote them off, didn't we? <laughs> prediction, wasn't it? And look what happened. And, and you can see, <laughs> look at Harry, there's a big smile he's had on his face this week. Um, it, it's kind of one of them things yeah. where, you know, it might be the time, you know, liken it to... Mercedes, there you go, to Formula One. We'll get into your domain, shall we, Harry? When, you know, it, 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 it suddenly Lewis Hamilton signed for Mercedes and everybody went, bloody hell, really? You know, it didn't look like it was going to work. And it's been the, 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 the move of the time and continues to be. You know, Braun, if you go back again, Formula One, I mean, it was, you know, they, they jumped ship, dumped the whole program, sold it to, to Ross Braun for a pound. And Jensen Button won the, the Formula One World Championship in a car that had already been sorted out by somebody else. And I would suggest to you that motorcycle racing is a lot more unpredictable than cars in that you just don't quite know how it's going to come together next year. It might be the time to go to Honda. They might throw the kitchen sink at it. The bit that, that kind of underlines it for me, though, is the Japanese way seems a longer way to engineering-wise to get to where they need to get to whereas Pete's already outlined it perfectly. When it comes to the Europeans at the moment, they will concentrate on an area and get it right. I had LR KTM. And Pete's also right, as we keep crossing over between four wheels and two. You know, Red Bull know a bit about aero, know a bit about carbon fibre, and they've used it to their best ends. Um, where's Honda's assets? You know, that's what you've got to look at. Where are the assets in Honda? Some very clever people in the factory, but if they lose their talisman, the man that dragged them all by their bloody you know, bootlaces, Mark Marquez, two of those championships, even when that bike probably wasn't capable in most other hands of winning world titles, they lose him. The momentum at Honda is going to be, you know, well, I don't know. It's going to take him a long time to recover from me. Yeah, Joe Amio, I understand what you're saying there, Pete, a quality rider, and he's been on it a bit lately. I mean, he's, it's, he's, he's been there or thereabouts as well. Um, you know, he's been quietly shining, hasn't he? Just 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 a little bit off of, off of Mark Marquez, but Mia's an intelligent fellow. You know, he's not going to chuck everything at it and risk the kind of crashes that, that Mark will risk to get that extra yard at this point. But he might do if the bike starts picking up. So many questions still to be answered, but uh, we'll be back on Thursday, Keith and I, for a little extra update. Who knows? Maybe we'll have some Marquez news to update you on or Acosta or whatnot. Uh, but that we are out of time. Pete, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you back with us. You are sorely missed. I know that. Before before we let before we round off, um, Ed, we're getting to the, the end of the season now. You know, it's a long run of races. Outside of Marquez, Acosta, what are the big storylines that, that you're interested in and looking at? Outside of Marquez, well, the title fight, obviously, now looks like it's become a two-way fight. Uh, Bezeki, I mean, I mean, it's bad luck for him, really, isn't it? He's had three first-turn sort of incidents, and without that, he'd be right up there. He's got the speed to be right up there still, but he, he's fallen away again, hasn't he, this weekend? So it's looking like a head-to-head, and uh, it's, it's a close one. Two people on, effective, well, the same bike, 
it, it's going to be interesting that in itself. And I think uh, you know Aprilia, unfortunately, their 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 engine issues, their, their heat related problems seem to be recurring again, don't they? It's like a nightmare that's come back from last year. Um, then what have you got? You got KTM. They could play a part in this title outcome. You know, it's a bit late for for them in terms of the riders' championship with Brad Binder, but. As Keith was saying, that that carbon fiber bike, it's instantly fast and it's only going to get better, isn't it? I mean, the, you know, it's going to take substantial steps with each lap they, they do on it over these flyaways. So they could play a big part in this outcome because you might have, unlike what we saw in Japan, where they, you know, the Ducatis are one and two, Martin and Banyaya, suddenly you put a few KTMs in there and you get bigger swings in the points. So, uh, yeah, I mean, let's hope it goes to Valencia. I think a title showdown, there's nothing like it is there and uh, that'd be great to see. Can we? That would be cool, wouldn't it? Well, can uh, we close off the show, Harry, with, on, and with while well, Pete's here as well? Um, I mean, because it's it's appropriate, I think, that this week, as everyone travels to Indonesia, we'll all be thinking about Mike Trimby, who everyone says goodbye to him this week. It is his um, parting shot, if you like. So, Mike Trimby, top man at Urta. Um, you will have seen the signs that were in Japan over the over the last week, even outside our favourite restaurant, come Australian bar. Um, were big slags about Mike Trimby. Mike Trimby, biggest man in MotoGP, I think we can say, and a massive loss to MotoGP. We say goodbye to him this week. Absolutely. And uh, if you want to check out more about Mike Trimby, Keith and I, along with Steve Parrish, sat down a few weeks ago and uh, it was great to hear so many stories about Mike Trimby and, and what that man did uh, for not just MotoGP, but for the motorcycle uh, world in general. So do have a look back through the audio or the YouTube channel and you can find it there. Uh, but that does bring us to an end. As I said, me and Keith, we're back on Thursday for a little quick hit and then we gear up for Indonesia. Um, you can get in touch. It's omgmotogp at gmail.com. Uh, for all of Pete's work, follow him on social media and check out Crash.net for all of the articles that he writes. And uh, you could leave us a review as well if you enjoyed the show, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you right back here on Thursday. But from myself, Harry Benjamin, from Keith Ewan and from Crash's MotoGP editor, Pete McLaren, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.